Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, The Wonder of Repentance. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 63. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. May the earth tremble. May the enemies be destroyed like the fire consumes the stubble. And may your people be saved by your glorious presence. When you adorned the temple of Solomon, when your glory filled that temple, the people bent their knees upon the pavement. They bowed their heads to the ground. And cried out, God is good, his love endures forever. And as I proclaim your word this morning, may you come down and may your people see that you are good. That your love, electing love for them is unfailing and everlasting. May all our cares be taken care of by you. Heal your people, save your people, give sight to the blind, and health to the sick. Forgive our sins. Comfort us. Instruct us, O God, in your holy word. Grant us light that we may live in the light of it. And may we go out of this place enriched by you, enlightened by you, empowered by you, saved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many people you think have been saved in the history of redemption without repentance? I want to speak to you about the, the wonder of repentance, which is the key teaching in Isaiah 63, 7 through 64, 12. What is repentance? My definition is repentance is seeing all reality from God's perspective as revealed in the scriptures and be governed by that perspective. Have you ever pondered over the wonder of repentance? It is, according to Westminster Confession of Faith, it is an evangelical grace. In other words, it is a divine gift. Blessed is the man who is enabled by the triune God to repent. And let me read to you from the 15th chapter of Westminster Confession that deals with repentance unto life. The first three articles. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. By it, that is, by repentance, a sinner, out of the sights and sense 
not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Although repentance be not be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. The wonder of repentance is that God never rejects the one who repents. He always embraces the repenting prodigal son, no matter how wickedly he had sinned against God and man. David discovered this wonder. Manasseh, the most wicked king of Judah, experienced this joy of repentance. The wonder of repentance is that it always works. Discover the unspeakable joy of it. Repent today and be embraced by your heavenly father. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin the Lord does not count against him. St. Peter said in Acts chapter 3, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing for you may come from the Lord. The Lord himself disclosed the wonder of repentance in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, meaning elect people, chosen people of God, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And Isaiah spoke the same things. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 27. And Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. And let me read that again. To impress upon you the wonder of this evangelical grace. 
Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the evil man, his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Turn with me to Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. That is the transcendent holy other God. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. I dwell with him to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Or turn to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. The Redeemer comes to redeem the repenting person in Zion. And he comes this morning to redeem, to save, to heal, to forgive, to comfort the repenting person. No one else. That is the sine qua non for salvation. Without repentance, no one shall ever enter into the kingdom of God. So let me speak to you about three things. Recalling past mercies. Recalling past rebellion and retribution. Finally, the wonder of present repentance. When we are in trouble, we ought to follow the example of Isaiah. We must repent. And Isaiah was the first person to repent in this book. And you read about his repentance in Isaiah chapter 6. When he saw the thrice holy God, he cried out, Woe unto me, I am unclean, I am finished, I am dead. That's repentance. And you know what happened to him? Isaiah was cleansed by his sin by the Lord and was commissioned to prophesy. Now Israel, he sees in great trouble. She is in exile. The Holy Land is a desert. The temple lies in utter ruins where their fathers once worshipped God. The question is, has God abandoned Judah forever? Will God never cease to be angry and silent because of our sin? Will God once again show mercy to his chosen people? Where is the God of past mercies? That is the question. Turn with me to the book of Judges, where Gideon asked the same question. Chapter 6 and verse 13, the people of God are abandoned. They are captives. They are defeated. 
they cannot even harvest their own planting. And Gideon is asking the question in verse 13, But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. This is what Isaiah is doing. Isaiah is recalling past mercies. And the idea is, will he not show us mercy once again? And the truth is, he will. Look at Isaiah. And here we are told, 62 verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn. Her salvation like a blazing torch. Isaiah prophesied about this God's intervention in the lives of his wretched, defeated, miserable people. He will do it again. He did in the past, but God is not only God of the past. He is also God of the present. And he can help you this morning. He will do it again, and again, and again. Isaiah also knew that he was commissioned by God to be Israel's watchman and intercessor. Let me read to you Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him, that is the Lord, no rest. Till he establishes Jerusalem. Till he restores Jerusalem. Till he shows again mercy to Jerusalem. And makes her the praise of the earth. So in chapter 63 verse 7 through 64 verse 12. The prophet earnestly intercedes God to act savingly once again toward his own chosen people. As he had done in the past. So in his intercession. Isaiah recalls God's past mercies. God's love is great and his mercy is rich. His covenant love never fails. It is everlasting and it is mighty to overcome any and every sin of us. So let us look at some of his Recalling of past mercies. Turn to Isaiah 63 verse 7. I will tell, I will recall, I will recount the kindnesses of the Lord. And that verse ends again by saying, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. The Hebrew word is chesed, which means covenant love. But it appears two times in the same verse in its plural. Covenant loves. What does this mean? It means the abundance of God's love. 
It means God's love is everlasting and never exhausting. And no sin of mine can put it to death and complete it. No sin of mine can diminish it and destroy it and put out the flame of his everlasting love. And God chose me, he saw me in all my sinfulness. And yet he committed to save me and he saves me. And he will save you. In spite of all the heinousness and utter wickedness of our sins. His covenant love is great and his mercy is rich. Therefore, we are told about his kindnesses. Secondly, the kindnesses manifested in the deeds of God toward us. Deeds of salvation. Deeds of salvation in behalf of us that inspire me to worship God. Look at verse 7, the deeds for which he is to be praised. You see, we are a praising people. Because God's love is great. And he performs his deeds for our salvation. And not only that, it says in verse 7, yes, the many good things he has done. Not one good thing, not two, but what? Infinite number of good things he has done for us. Let's praise him. That's why he's doing it. He deserves to be praised and worshipped. And then look at verse 8. It says, and so he became their savior. On the basis of his covenant loves, he saves us. And he will save us. And he will save us to the uttermost. He is our savior. The only savior. Let's praise him. He is our only savior. There is no other savior. And look at verse 9. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And you heard about President Clinton. He would say he feels our pain. It's a manipulation of the electorate. But there is one who does feel our pain. And that is our God. He feels our pain. Not even our parents can feel our pains as he feels our pains on a daily basis. He feels our pains. He identifies with our souls. He is a sympathizing high priest. And turn with me to Isaiah 53, where he did feel our pain. Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are saved. But he was wounded. And we are healed. The infinite degree of pain 
that our sin brought about. He felt it in his incarnate body. Turn with me to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, which is quoted, of course, in Romans 15, verse 3. Psalm 69, verse 9. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. That is feeling the pain. Or look at Acts chapter 9. The Lord, the resurrected Lord, appears to Saul of Tarsus. And he asks, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? There is an identification of our Lord with us. And we are united with him. When we are insulted, he is insulted. When we are persecuted, he is persecuted. He feels our pain even now. So understand that. Don't ever say he doesn't understand. He doesn't know. He doesn't feel my problem. He does. And we are told in verse 7. He set the Holy Spirit among us. Now why did he set the Holy Spirit among us? In order that he may guide you. He may bless you. He may bring you to rest. And then we are told in verse 12, he enabled Moses to shepherd us. Let me read to you verse 12. Who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand. Now, you you want to know what that means. It means when Moses performed a miracle... He did not do by his hand, but it was grasped and gripped by God's right hand. This is speaking about God working with Moses, enabling him to guide his people. And even so, let me tell you, the arm of the Lord grasps your hand. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Do you feel the crucified hand of Christ grasping you, gripping you? And then we are told that he delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage, guided through the Red Sea, led us through the desert, brought us Israel to Canaan to rest. It is all there in verse 13 and 14. He guided, he led, he brought people to rest. Jesus said, come unto me, I'll give you rest. He will give you rest right now. The same God is with us. If you repent. In other words, God came and solved all their problems. They were captives to Pharaoh of Egypt. And God delivered them. And now, verse verse 12 and verse 14, I want to make a summary statement. The Lord did this all for his own glory. And in verse 9, we are told all this he did in his love and pity. 
And this is the only time the word love appears in Isaiah in its noun form. All this he did in his love and pity. In his eternal love, everlasting love, unfailing love, covenant love for us miserable sinners. What is love here? It means a love which delights in the companionship of the loved one. You know, God loves fellowship with us. Do you know that? Love which delights in the companionship of the loved one. A lot of people will come to God and demand certain things so that they can go and do what they want. Eternal life is fellowship with God. And this eternal, infinite, personal, almighty, all-wise, all-holy God receives delight in fellowshipping with us creatures redeemed by Christ. And we are told all this he did in his love and pity. Pity, according to the Bible, is that which spares one from deserved destruction. And God shows pity and saves you. And finally, we are told in verse 8 that he expected covenant love and loyalty in return for what he has done for us. He expected it. Electing love expects loyal love in return. Do you recall God's past mercies when you find yourselves under God's chastisement? And do you meditate on the word of God which reveals clearly God's past mercies to his people? If you do, you will discover a sure way out of our present misery and gloom through repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans 15. And there, St. Paul tells this in verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. That means it's our responsibility to review and learn and know what God has done in redemptive history. Because it is written down by divine inspiration for this purpose. So that through endurance and and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And so I counsel people who live in misery and gloom and fear and even divine anger turn to the book and keep reading and look at God's mercies shown to sinful people in the past that will give you hope to call upon God and say God will you have mercy upon me and the answer is yes I will have mercy upon you secondly Isaiah as the intercessor in behalf of his people, recalls past rebellion and retribution. What did the covenant Lord receive in return for his electing love and rich mercy poured out upon Israel? Look at Isaiah 63, verse 10. 
It says, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Or Deuteronomy 32 verse 15. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Isn't that what your parents receive from your own children? Having done everything for them, you receive the kick in your growing. What pain and what misery for all the love you expended. What you got is kick and stubbornness and rebellion. Israel grew fat through God's provision and kicked God, rejected God in favor of impotent and worthless idols. Rebellion is hostility to transcendent power and moral perfection of God. Israel rebelled and so grieved the Holy Spirit of God. Holiness of God is offended every time we sin. Every time we sin, we spit at the very face of the spirit of holiness. Let me tell you, Holy Spirit is both holy in his being and is able to make every sinner holy. And without holiness, no one shall see God. And Stephen Before the Sanhedrin in Acts 7 verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Resist is the opposite of being regulated by the Holy Spirit. Either We are regulated by the Holy Spirit or we resist the Holy Spirit. And not only that, we are told they grieve the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person, infinite person. He is infinite God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He dwells in our hearts. And so, turn from here, St. Paul cites this verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read to you from verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, meaning do not sin, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by speaking unwholesome words and so on. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Because you must understand the one who dwells within us is spirit of holiness. Every time we think dirty and speak evil and do evil, we oppose The holiness of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. But we are told in the scripture, there is one who is not rebellious. Do you know that? It's Isaiah chapter 50. And let me read 
from verse 4 and 5 there is only one human being who ever lived on the face of the earth who did not grieve the Holy Spirit who did not resist the Holy Spirit who was led by the Holy Spirit who obeyed the Holy Spirit who pleased the Holy Spirit here it is Isaiah 54 and 5 the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue this is speaking about the Messiah the incarnate Lord to know the word that sustains the weary he wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. Not even once. And that's why we rebellious people have hope. Because there is one who has never been rebellious. And let's look at the retribution. You see, sin causes God to act against that sin and sinner because he is holy. And so, look at verse 10 of chapter 63. So he turned. You see, they turned against him. So he turned against them. Understand this. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. They turned against God, bent after idols. And so notice there is a turning. Not that God changed, but they changed. And therefore his relationship with them changed. We are told God turned. This is 180 turn. And became the opposite of Savior. Look at it, it says God became their enemy. Not only that, God fought against them. Let me tell you, you think who is going to win if God fights against you? Saul of Tarsus tried. And he found out, no way. And let me tell you, if you are sinning deliberately, consciously against all the counsel you receive from the past, from parents and from everybody else, and you defiantly sinning, <laughs> let me tell you, my God is against you. My God will fight against you. And my God shall win. Either in your destruction or in your salvation. God fought against them. Not that because God changed, because Israel changed. Israel broke God's covenant. When God so fights, let me tell you, our health is affected. Our economy is affected. Our reputation is affected. Our marriage is affected. Our children are affected. Our community life is affected. We even die. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. When God fights against us, we are handed over to Satan that our flesh may be destroyed. We are handed over to the Philistines, to the Egyptians, to the Assyrians, and to the Babylonians to defeat us. He even burns down his own temple. And the writer to the Hebrews tells this that should cause us to tremble before sin. It says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And now look at verse 15 of chapter 63. God's compassion is withheld. 
God restrains himself from helping you. He refuses to help you. Look at verse 17 of chapter 63 and chapter 64 verse 7. The truth is we wander away from God. You chose to sin and he lets you. And you wander and your hearts are hardened and hardened and hardened. I have seen it. I have seen it with my eyes. How the heart was hardened. I have seen people who were soft and responsive. And then after a while get hardened and hardened and hardened. And God lets you. You want to sin. He lets you to sin. And verse 7 of chapter 64 in the New American Standard Version. This is the way it reads and has delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Literally in Hebrew, into the hand of our iniquities means the mighty power of our iniquities to destroy you. He says, you want to sin? You go ahead and the sin will destroy you. He commits you into the power of your own iniquities that you self-destruct. And this principle is revealed In Romans 1, let me read to you, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over. God abandoned man. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And verse 26, because of this God gave them over to shameful lust. And verse 28, further, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. You reject God, he rejects you and abandons you to your own sinful and destructive ways. Look at verse 6 of chapter 64. Be shrivel like leaf. The energy is gone and the life is sucked out. We are not like a a tree planted by the stream so water whose leaves shall never wither. A sinning person against the knowledge of God is one like a leaf that withers. And look at verse 64, verse 10 and 11. What is it? desolation and ruins let me read it to you it is speaking about your life if this is applicable to you your holy cities have become desert even Zion is a desert Jerusalem a desolation our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise you has been burned with fire all that we treasure lies in ruins And this was the commission God gave to Isaiah. Go and prophesy till everything is ruined and destroyed and devastated. Because they will not listen to you. Hearing they will not hear. Seeing they will not see. Lest they turn to me and be healed by me. God knows son and daughter, man and woman, how to deal with us. And look at verse 7 of chapter 64. The Lord has withdrawn, withdrawn 
his face. He hides his, his face. He hides his face and leaves the sinner alone. He refuses to interfere with your life. You didn't like when your father interfered, your mother interfered, your pastor interfered, your friend interfered. You didn't like it. And he leaves you alone. Nobody interferes. Nobody talks to you. Nobody reproves you. Nobody instructs you. Nobody teaches you. Nobody corrects you. Oh, what a terrible condition that is. When God hides his face. And look at chapter 64, verse 5. God is angry. Don't you ever think differently. When you are sinning, God is angry. And he asked the question, how can we be saved? This is a big question. If you are angry, how can we be saved? Unless that anger is dealt with in some other way. Now let's move on to the wonder of present repentance. No matter how dark has been the past. Let me tell you. No matter how dark has been the past. If you repent now, you shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful? That's the wonder of it. You shall be brought to light and life. You shall be forgiven. You shall be healed. The hurricane of God's holy anger will, be, will stop instantly. Oh, if only we repent. May God grant us this wonderful evangelical grace. With this evangelical grace, the prodigal returned and was received with great joy. And Jesus said, when one sinner repents, heaven rejoices, angels of God rejoice. And I say, God triune, rejoice when one sinner repents. How God cares for your salvation. That your salvation brings joy to the very heart of God. And so let me present some arguments. There is the repentance Isaiah repents for the people. First, there are a number of arguments. Number one, look at verse 16 of chapter 63. But you are our father. What is he saying, you are our father? He is saying, we sought idols. They cannot help us. You alone are our father. We are still your children. You are the sovereign potter. We are the weak and lowly clay. You can remake us. You can do something. You can put that Humpty Dumpty together again. Nobody else can do it. You are our father. We exist because of you. And in other words, he is saying, you, we are your responsibility. Take care of us. This is true repentance. We are the work of your hand. Please care for us. What is he saying? He's saying we repent of our sins. We turn to you. Number two, verse 17. You are our redeemer. Means you are our kinsman redeemer. We are slaves. We have no way of redeeming ourselves. This is repentance. Redeem us from our captivity to sin. We have no one else to redeem us. You are our only redeemer. Number three, verse 17. We are your servants. We finished. 
with serving the devil and the demons and the idols, we have returned. We are your servants. We served idols, but no more. We repent of our rebellion. We turn our back on all our idols. We are your servants from now and forevermore. And verse 17 again. We are your inheritance. We are your portion, O God. Yes, a broken portion. We are in deep trouble. Your portion is in deep trouble. Your inheritance is in deep trouble. It's ruined, but you can make it again. We are yours. Have mercy upon us and remake us and restore us and establish us and save us. That's the idea. And now, look at verse 16 and verse 19. We are yours from of old. (laughs) Oh, that's a powerful argument. We are yours from the days of Abraham. We are yours from before the creation of the world. We are yours from all eternity. You chose us as yours from all eternity, O God. (laughs) Your love for us is ancient and everlasting. We are not some journey come lately. You have loved us. There was no time that you did not love us. Powerful argument. And 64 verse 5. You are our only true and living God. Turn with me to Isaiah 45. Well, let's read 43 verse 11. I, even I am the Lord and apart from me there is no Savior. And 45. And verse 21, declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together who foretold this long ago, who declared it from the distant past. Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. You see, you can go and worship all the idols and run after everything. And you find out they are impotent. They are demons. They are destructive. And you come back. Some of them will come back. And will say you are the only true and living God. You are the only savior. And this is the repentance. Idols we discovered are worthless. We have have abandoned all false gods. And have turned to you. That's repentance. Isaiah 64 verse 4 and 5. Essentially it simply says you are our only savior. Rend the heavens, come down and help us. Save us, those who wait for you. Save us, those who gladly do what is right. Save us, those who remember you and your ways. Rend the heaven, come down, help us, save us, because you are the only Savior. It says we wait for you. We gladly do what is right. And this is the verse from which I say you must obey God immediately, exactly. And what's the third? Joyfully, right there. It's from this verse I taught that. And we even now remember you in your ways. Let me tell you, waiting is not a passive activity. It is actively doing the will of God for the long haul, knowing for certain the Lord shall come and meet with us in his blessing. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
you wait for god and he will meet with you hallelujah he will never fail he'll come meet with you help you save you heal you restore you put you together and then he confesses let me look at the confession i'll just cite it 64 verse 5 we sinned we sinned and not only that he says we continued in our sins not only we sinned but we continued in our sins and then he says you are justly angry he says how can we be saved when you are angry it's impossible and then he says in verse 6 all of us are unclean in the old testament a leper is to cry out unclean unclean and he is to live alone outside of god's community that's what he is saying all of us are unclean there is not even one exception and then in verse 6 the famous verse all our righteousness are like filthy rags meaning used tampons that is literally that's what it is now can you imagine try to impress god with the pharisaic self righteousness it's a stench in the very nostrils of god and then there is the confession verse 6 we all shrivel like a leaf and die meaning no life in us no energy in us no power in us we are weak and now verse 7 again we are abandoned to the power of sin again verse 9 of 64 we are still your elect people you see that's hope we are still your people <laughs> we are still your people and i'm saying it doesn't matter what you did it doesn't matter how dark our wickedness is it, it doesn't matter how terrible we have become it doesn't matter how ruined we are it doesn't matter how miserable we are he will rend the heaven for you and will come down to save you to heal you but the necessary condition is what repentance and you pray that god may grant you repentance that you may be saved heavenly father we pray that you help us to understand this word grant us true repentance that evangelical grace which is a gift of god that we may repent and be saved in jesus name amen you have been listening to grace and glory audio presenting this message from the bible series on the book of isaiah come back soon for more bible teaching from pastor pg matthew 